degrees and one doctorate in theology. He's the, he's, the, um, he's the resident theologian for Elam, New Zealand. He is a great leader, a great friend. Um, he is uh, really just one of those people that I go to a lot because I'm like, hey, I'm stuck on this. Can you just give me some input or some insight into this? And just an amazing thinker, amazing man of God, currently studying for his third master's in Islamic studies, which is a whole nother realm, uh, which he's got a, a massive passion and burden for. And uh, it's our joy to have him here today. He's going to be ask, uh, answering the question today, uh, do all religions lead to God, all the, the same God? Uh, tonight, he's asking, ask, answering a different question. The question tonight is, uh, why do bad things happen? Big questions, but uh, I'm so blessed to have you here, Adam. Church, can you join with me in welcoming to the platform, Dr. Adam Dodds. Well, great to be with you this morning. Good morning. Hey, that's good. Well, I bring greetings from Dunedin, but no, it's a real privilege to be here. And uh, just so you know, your church is such a blessing to the whole movement. I know you, your church is a blessing to you, but it's also a blessing to the movement. And as one of the many churches around the country who is a recipient of the generosity and the wisdom that God has given this church, I want to say a big thank you to you, big thank you to Steve, big thank you to Luke and the team here. Uh, we're, we're very blessed uh, just to... to have you leading the way and, and us learning from you and charging on in Dunedin as well. I have to mention this briefly just because it's true. When I left Dunedin yesterday, it was warmer than when I arrived in Auckland. That happens once or twice a year, and yesterday was one of those days. So uh, praise God, he's good. <laughs> um, so I, I'm the pastor in, in Dunedin, that's right, as Steve has said, and I have three children and one wife, and I'll show you a picture of my wife, Kylie. Uh, that's Kylie and I together. And then our three children, Elias, Micah, and Peter. Uh, that was the first day of school this year. Uh, you can tell which is the cheeky one. Um, actually, all of them is the answer there. It's funny, my wife was reading a Facebook post by someone uh, the other day. And they said, I believe in mythical creatures, unicorns, fairies, and children who listen to their parents. <laughs> and all the parents in the room said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, today we're looking at uh, the question, do all religions lead to God? Maybe you're a child here today and you thought that's a bit unfair. You'll become a parent, you will see, and God will bless you. Okay, so do all religions lead to God? It's a, it's a really big question. It's a really important question. It's important to clarify that we're talking about religions, not people. There's a difference between people and ideologies or belief systems. We're talking about religions, not people. And there's probably two audiences here today. The first, uh, in no particular order, are those who love the Lord and church is part of your life and, and you come here every week and that is absolutely awesome. And so I hope today will be interesting for you and stimulating and I hope it will also help you in your own conversations with your friends and family and colleague, colleagues about this question. You may also be here today and, and church is not your thing. Like this is unusual for you to be here. Can I just say, so good that you're here. Awesome. And, and I really hope that for you, this will, will help you on your own spiritual journey. And so a bit more about that later. This is a huge topic, huge topic. Who's qualified to speak on this topic? Short answer, nobody. Nobody, seriously, nobody. No one is an expert on every religion. It is not humanly possible. Let me tell you why. I spent 10 years getting my two masters and PhD in Christian theology. If I did that level of study for every religion or every ideology, I would die before I finished my studies. There's just not enough time. Now, okay, if you live to 500, maybe, but I haven't yet met anyone who's lived that long. Therefore, no one is an expert on this subject. It's not possible. 
But I have studied this subject quite a bit. I've studied Christian theology a lot. I've studied one or two other uh, religions a little, and I've studied Islam a reasonable amount. And so I'm not an expert, but I do hope that my thoughts today will be helpful for you. Also, it's important to realize that we feel this question quite strongly, but it's not a new question. The church was, was birthed in a multi-religious context. Uh, but in New Zealand, we feel this question more strongly because our own culture is becoming uh, rapidly multi-ethnic and multi-religious. It's not a bad thing at all. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, but just um, that's why we feel it a little bit more strongly. But it's not a new question. So how do we actually run at this question? Well, let me suggest a couple of approaches. Do all religions lead to God? Leads to other questions like, do all religions believe in the same God? Are all religions fundamentally similar and only superficially different? So they're the two questions I'm going to look at. Do all religions believe in the same God? And are all religions fundamentally similar but only superficially different? They're the questions I want to spend our time on today. But before I do, I want to tell you why the question is so important. If you travel to the jungles of southern Venezuela today and you head deep into the Amazon, you may be blessed to come across a people known as the Yanomamo people. The Yanomamo people are indigenous to that part of the Amazon, and Mark Andrew Ritchie has written about it in his book, Spirit of the Rainforest. He's a social anthropologist. He describes their life, uh, just um, how they live, and how they've lived as far back as anyone can remember. And, and, and their lifestyle, their hunter-gatherers, uh, which is not unusual in that part of the world and in many parts of the world, but as well as that, they live in different villages and they believe in various spirits and they have witch doctors. And these spirits, through the witch doctors, will often, how can I put it, trigger them or, or, or say to them the bad things that you're experiencing in your village, why this person has bad health, why this person has had a miscarriage, why these things are not going well for you is because another village has put a curse on you. And so these spirits will instigate one village to take up arms and go and attack and raid another village. And they'll go with spears, and it will be bloody, and people will die, and they'll take off some women and children as captives, and it's just a bit of a mess. And then what happens is the village that were attacked will then do a revenge attack. And, and there's lots and lots of villages all over the place in the jungle, and they've been living this way farther back than anyone can remember. And what's important to realize is their own belief system in terms of uh, the spirits they believe in and the witch doctor kind of are egging them on in this cycle of violence and retribution. Mark Andrew Ritchie describes in his book how a Christian missionary goes to one of the uh, villages and, and starts to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And long story short, they end up becoming Christians. Why is that important? Because Jesus, what did Jesus say about those who hate you? Bless those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus taught. And so guess what the village did? They stopped the cycle of violence. They stopped the cycle of retribution. They stopped the cycle of raiding other villages. And then as the gospel of Jesus spread into other parts of that people group, more and more people became peace-loving rather than going on these acts of warfare. Why am I saying all of this? Because in both cases, it's their belief that drove their behavior. Did you know that for you and for me and for everyone else, belief determines behavior, and behavior reveals beliefs. So whatever you believe is, is shown by how you live, and how you live is determined by what you believe. So belief determines behavior. What you believe ultimately determines your life. What you believe ultimately determines how you live. 
If you love bacon, then you will prioritize frying bacon in the morning. And we all say thank you, Jesus, together. Oh, thank you, Lord. What you believe determines how you live. But more than that, your worldview or your belief system not only determines how you live, it also determines what happens after you live. It determines your afterlife. It determines what happens after you die. Buddhism teaches that people are to aspire to nirvana, to escape the cycle of birth and rebirth. Islam teaches that your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds in order to enter paradise. The the trouble is, is no one's quite invented a calculus as to exactly how much good deeds are worth and how much bad deeds are worth and how they're calculated. And even if your good deeds do outweigh your bad deeds, however that has worked out, that's still no guarantee, according to Islam, that you will enter paradise. And then Christians believe that what you do with Jesus has eternal significance. What you do with Jesus affects what happens after you die. And so all the religions agree that the religious belief system affects not only how you live now, but your afterlife as well. And that's why it's an important question. Can I get an amen? Am I making some sense? All right. If if you like what I'm saying, just just agree with me or say that's good. Or again, if it's a load of rubbish, just say it's a load of rubbish. And if you want to throw things at me, I'm quite good at dodging. You guys at the mezzanine, though, you might catch me because you've got a good angle there. But I I, I think I'll be okay. But we'll we'll see how we go. But this is also a personal question for me. I, I didn't have the privilege of being brought up in a Christian family. Such a privilege. I have an amazing family, amazing parents. But that wasn't something that was part of my upbringing. And so I had to go on a bit of a spiritual journey myself and had to try to figure this stuff out. And I had people helping me and my grandparents were praying for me and that kind of thing. But this isn't just an academic question. It's a personal one as well. And, and perhaps it's a personal question for you too. So let's, let's get into it. Let's get into the this subject in a bit more detail. The belief that all religions lead to God is known as religious pluralism. Religious pluralism teaches that basically all the religions are more or less the same. They teach us to be kind. They teach us to love people. They teach us to serve the poor and honor the holy. And one proponent of religious pluralism, one proponent of this view that all religions lead to God, was the Christian scholar of Islam, William Montgomery Watt, a professor in Edinburgh University. And in his book, Islam and Christianity Today, he says this. And watch how many adjectives he gets into one sentence. He's quite impressive. He says, the various world religions need to accept one another as fellow climbers of the cloud-covered mountain on whose summit, in the mists, God dwells unseen. How many people know that academics like long sentences? What he's trying to say is that basically all religions are climbing up the same mountain and God dwells at the top in a kind of mist that no one can really see. And therefore, he's basically saying all religions lead to God. That is his claim. That is many people's claim. Have you ever heard that claim yourself? That all religions are more or less the same? That they all more or less lead to God? Well, here's why it's appealing. That view is appealing for many people. Here's why that view is appealing. Firstly, it is seen to be inclusive. Everyone's right and nobody's wrong. Isn't that wonderful? That's the first reason. The second reason, sorry if that was a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, it's true, right? (laughs) The second reason is it appears to contribute to social harmony. The philosopher John Hick, who was a proponent of this view, he said that if everyone accepted that all religions were more or less the same and pretty much led to the same God, then that would usher in a new era of interreligious peace and harmony. What a lovely thought. What a lovely thought. I don't know if that's true, but what a lovely thought. The third reason why it's appealing is, um, in, I'm reverse the order, is it re- resonates with us culturally. 
you see, in our, in our culture today, this is number two, sorry, uh, we believe in this thing called cultural um, ethical relativism, the idea that what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. And is this action right or wrong? Well, that depends on what you feel, and you've got to be true to yourself. And, and this whole idea of ethical relativism, there's no absolute right, there's no absolute wrong, it's all relative. And because that's common in our culture, I'm not saying it's right, but because it's common in our culture, religious pluralism fits quite well. It resonates culturally. The fourth reason why religious pluralism is appealing, that all religions lead to God, and this is the reason that's never stated up front, but it's probably the driving force behind all of them, is this one. It appeals to laziness. It appeals to laziness. Who wants to do the hard work of actually figuring out which one of these things is true? A lot easier to say, oh, they're all the same, and then just carry on living how you were living before. Much easier. So it appeals to laziness, but does that make it true? And then the fifth reason, it appeals to those who don't want to change their lifestyle. Last night, I had dinner with a friend, and he cooked this beautiful steak. And according to at least one religion, you're not meant to eat beef. According to another religion, you're not meant to eat pork or bacon. That's pretty serious. I'm talking serious stuff here now. And so what you believe determines what you have to give up or lay aside. In other words, it's costly. So it's a lot cheaper just to say, oh, they're all the same, and carry on living however you want. Jesus doesn't say anyone who wants to come after me must indulge themselves. Jesus says anyone who comes after me must deny themselves. There's a cost to following Jesus. Bonhoeffer called it the cost of discipleship. And so these are the reasons why religious pluralism is appealing, but is it true? I want to submit to you that the different religions offer uh, sort of different visions of human society, different visions of human flourishing, different visions of the good life. And in many ways, that's similar to the different political parties that we have. The National Party in New Zealand have a particular vision of the good life. They have a particular vision of what a flourishing New Zealand will look like. The Green Party also have a vision of what a flourishing New Zealand will look like. Do you think their visions of a flourishing New Zealand are the same? No, they're different. Now, on the surface, if you want to be lazy, you can say, oh, they're all the same. They're all politicians. They all have, both parties have leaders. They, they both have policies. Are there similarities? Sure. But when you actually look at what they're saying, they're radically different. And I want to submit to you the different religions are exactly the same. On the surface, oh, they're all religions. They all talk about God. They all talk about being good. They kind of seem similar. But delve a little bit deeper, and the differences become apparent. What I want to suggest to you is that 99.9% people who study this subject come to the conclusion that the religions are not all the same. A scholar of religion, Leslie Newbigin, he was trained in Christian theology. Uh, he lived in South India for about 30 years. He ended up studying the Hindu scriptures in the original languages, Sanskrit, um, and then later on ended up being a student of Islam and quite proficient in that religion as well. So he wrote about various religions as a committed Christian. He said this, don't ask us to believe the teaching that all religions are really the same because they are not. It is only possible to insist that they are all the same by not looking at any of them. And that is what is usually done. Now, you wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't do that. You're quiet this morning. Would you do that? No. Imagine for a moment... Um, I, I, I cheer the All Blacks because New Zealand is my adopted country and my wife is a Kiwi and my children are born here. But I am also English, so I do have to cheer for England too. And there was quite a rather large rugby win by England over Ireland yesterday. So commiserations if you're Irish, it's not personal, but go England. 
so just put yourself in my mind just for a moment, okay? You're English and you're excited about English rugby. I know I've probably gone too far already. Okay, All Blacks. You're watching the All Blacks. You're loving it. You're enjoying it. They're, they're about to score their 20th try against Australia. Thank you, Jesus. Life is going well. In that moment, your wife, and if you're not married, just imagine, your wife, but don't imagine too much, your wife comes, <laughs> c- comes in, and she's over here, and, and she's got a new dress on. She's just bought a new dress, and she says, honey, what do you think of the new dress? And the TV's there, and you're, you're just watching. And she asks the question, and you say, it looks beautiful. <laughs> Is that going to go down well in your marriage? No, because when important things happen, you look, Right? When important things happen, you look. When you buy a new house, do you look or do you just buy it? When, when you, with a new car, you look before you buy. You check things out carefully. With a new job, you check things out carefully. Can I suggest that the different religions question is the most important question that needs to be settled? So why would you not look? It makes no sense. So let, let's look together and see what the different religions teach. I want to suggest to you that as you look at the different religions, mutual contradictions quickly become apparent. Let's, um, if you were to ask Siddhartha Gautama two and a half thousand years ago, commonly known as the Buddha, do you believe that all religions are the same? He would say no. Why, why am I confident about that? Because he was brought up as a Hindu, he lived life as a Hindu, he was deeply bothered about the problem of suffering in the world, and he ended up setting aside Hinduism, rejecting two of its fundamental tenets, including the authority of the Vedas and also the caste system, and he ended up going on his own spiritual quest, and in the process he founded uh, Buddhism with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and the goal of the ultimate extinguishing of desire. He rejected one religion to found another. So if you're to ask him, are they all the same? He would say, no. I rejected one to found another. And most religions say the same. Most religions are exclusive. So to ask the question, do all religions lead to God? The problem is, is that the different religions can't even agree. Is there one God? Are there no gods? Or are there lots of them? Christians believe there's one God, and he looks just like Jesus. Hindus believe in many gods, and some people estimate the counters at about 330 million. Buddhism in general, and Zen Buddhism in particular, specifically say that there is no God, and ultimate reality is called sunyata, or emptiness. And so, you know, do all religions lead to God? Well, we can't even agree. Is there one God? Are there millions of gods? Is there no God? We can't even agree on that question, let alone anything else. If we move forward to Christianity and Islam, which do both believe in one God, even their shared belief in one God is drastically different. Christianity says God's name is Yahweh. Islam says God's name is Allah. Christianity says Yahweh is the author of good, but not evil. Evil results from rebellion against Yahweh. In Islam, good and evil both come from Allah. Christianity says God's being exists in relationship, Trinity, Islam says Allah's being is solitary, tawheed. Christianity says God is love in his innermost being. Not that God loves, God is love. So everything he does flows out of who he is, which is love. Islam says Allah is not love in his innermost being, and he can't be. So if you could say with me, the differences make a difference. The differences make a difference. Daud Rabah was a, a leading, one of Pakistan's leading intellectuals in the 20th century. And he did his PhD in Quranic studies at Cambridge University. Not the real Cambridge in the Waikato, but Cambridge over in the UK. 
And he found from his study that he found that according to what the Quran says about Allah, Allah has no unconditional love for humanity. He found that God's love, according to the Quran, Allah's love is conditional. And then he ended up studying Jesus and realizing the vast difference of what Christianity teaches about what God looks like as revealed in Jesus. He later became a professor at Ankara University uh, in the capital city of Turkey, and then later put his faith in Jesus and was baptized because he realized that the differences make a difference. Can we say that together? The differences make a difference. When we talk about the subject of creation, stuff, Christians and Jews believe that the created world is good. It's to be enjoyed. Food and drink and music and sport and poetry and art and culture and books are good. And they're to be enjoyed. It's quite different when you look at Platonism or Gnosticism or Manichaeanism. They say the created world is evil. And so the different aspects of the created world are evil as well. Christianity says they're good and to be enjoyed. Those other ideologies say they are evil. And then Hinduism and Mahayana Buddhism believe the physical world is maya. It's an illusion from which we need to escape. So which is it? Can we enjoy food and enjoy sport and enjoy music and enjoy culture and enjoy life as part of God's good gifts? Or are we to escape from them because they're just illusion? The differences make a difference. When it comes to the subject of relationships, I said earlier that in Buddhism, the main aim, the, the goal is the, is the end of suffering, and that's a noble goal. But the way that, that Buddhism seeks to get there is the ultimate extinguishing of desire. Buddhism teaches that one of the primary goals for the human being is the ultimate extinguishing of their heart desires. It's a pretty heavy thing when you think about it. The first female Buddhist monk in Thailand, she was ordained in Sri Lanka because in Thai Buddhism they don't ordain women, but she was ordained in Sri Lanka, but she was the first female Thai Buddhist monk. She uh, met with this uh, famous Christian leader and he was just getting to know her and asking her some questions and trying to understand some of the differences between Christianity and Buddhism. If you're interested in that subject, there's a little book called The Lotus and the Cross by Ravi Zacharias. It's a brilliant book. I commend it to you for those interested, The Lotus and the Cross. Anyway, so he's talking with her and he finds out that she's married and she has children, which is unusual for a Buddhist monk. Anyway, so she's having this conversation conversation with him and he says well do you miss your children because monks don't live with their family and to which she said yeah I miss them greatly and she started to cry and she said at the end of every day she drives down from the monastery to spend time with one of her children and then at this uh, the, the Christian talking with her was confused and said but hang on a minute isn't it true that your goal as a Buddhist monk is the ultimate extinguishing of all desire she said yes and then he said, but when you drive down to spend time with your children at the end of every day, you desire to be with your children, right? She said, yes. And he said, so can I just clarify that your goal as a Buddhist monk includes extinguishing the desire to spend time with your children? She just cried. She didn't have an answer. Because if you believe that, then ultimately relationships are something from which you remove yourself from. Because if you desire to be with someone, that's the opposite of what you're trying to do when you extinguish desire. That teaching on relationships is, could not be more different than what the Bible teaches. When people came to Jesus and said, what is the most important commandment? 
He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the single most important thing is to love God, love people. Relationship with God, relationship with people. Relationships are the point. They're not a distraction. They are the point. And so the differences are vast indeed. Can you say with me, the differences make a difference? Thank you for indulging me. I appreciate it. When it comes to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, Christians believe this is the center, the, the hinge of all of history. That on the cross, Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, took all of our sins, all of humanity's sins, past, present, and future, took everything that we have ever thought, said, or done that is wrong, and he took it upon himself, and he died, and he buried it in order to put an end to that which separates us from God. And then he was raised from the dead on the third day to destroy death once and for all, so that we can have eternal life, not just after we die, but here and now, through relationship with Jesus. Everything stands on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, but Judaism and Islam deny that re the resurrection even happened. Hinduism and Buddhism deny that anything that happens in history can convey eternal significance. And so even on this question, we have radically different views. So in summary, I want to conclude with Leslie Newbigin that it is only possible to insist that the different world religions are all the same by not looking at any of them. And that is what is usually done. That doesn't make conflict inevitable. Just because we disagree with people doesn't mean we can't love them. But Jesus says the opposite. We must love them. You agree with me? Wonderful, I love you. You disagree with me? Wonderful, I love you. You hate me? I still have to love you. Jesus makes it very clear. So that don't buy into that disagreement must lead to conflict. No, not from a Christian point of view. Jesus taught us to love everyone. So let's ask the question then, what are the different world religions? I would submit to you that the different world religions are sincere human attempts to reach out to a God who is far away. The different world religions are sincere human attempts to reach out to the God who is far away. My own journey is that as I grew up, my, my life was good, my family was good, my school was good. I was good at sport, I was good at studies, I had good friends, but there was something on the inside that just, just felt empty. There was something that I felt incomplete, I felt discontent, I felt not at peace. It's hard to put an exact word to it. And then through a, a period of my life in, in different ways, God made himself real to me. You know, some people ask, how did you become a Christian or why are you a pastor or something like that? The answer is God made himself real to me. And when he makes himself real to you, what do you do? What can you do other than yes, Lord? And so that was my response. And so I found that when he drew near to me and when I eventually gave my life to him because he showed himself to be trustworthy, when I gave my life to him, he filled that void on the inside. And I, I wasn't empty anymore. I was at peace. I was content. I was whole. And then what was fascinating is that much later on, I ended up reading about an African chap who lived 1,500 years before me, a guy called Augustine. And he wrote in his book, Confessions, Lord, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I read that, and I thought, that's my experience. See, that's just not unique to him or to me. That's the universal human experience that God made us for himself. And so I have found rest and peace in Jesus. And the important thing about Jesus is he makes an end to all religion. 
And it's not because I'm against all religion. It's just Jesus sets it aside and we don't need it anymore. Because if the different religions are human attempts to try to wind their way up the mountain to try to find God somehow, Jesus represents God coming down to us. We don't talk about lots of roads going up the mountain. We talk about one road coming down. And it says in John chapter 1 that the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. The Word was made a human being, and He made His home among us, and His name is Jesus. And of course, Word means self-communication. God wants to express Himself. God does not want to remain hidden, but He wants to disclose who He is. Why is this a game changer? Why does Jesus change everything? Why does Jesus make all the difference? Can I give you three brief reasons? And if you can't remember them all, they're on the back of your sheet, so you're all good. Everyone picks up their sheet. I'm not quite done. Jesus reveals what God is like. God doesn't dwell on a mountain in the mists unseen and no one knows who he is. Jesus said, when someone asked him, show us what God is like, Jesus said, you're looking at him. John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You're looking at him. So when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read how Jesus interacts with people and how he talks to people and how he responds to people, you're reading about exactly what God is like. God is not a mystery anymore. We know who he is, and he looks like Jesus. Secondly, Jesus makes available a relationship with God. That I know I was searching for God, and maybe you're here today searching for God too. The good news is God has been searching for you for much longer. And will you allow yourself to be found by him today? The third thing that Christianity uh, does is that these Oxford professors were having this discussion. How is Christianity different from every other religion? And they couldn't really agree on what the answer was. And then C.S. Lewis, the famous author and professor, walks in and hears the question of how Christianity is different from every other religion. And he says, oh, that's easy. One word. Grace. Grace. Why? Every other religion, if, if you follow football or the Premier League table, you know that um, teams score goals, yes, goals scored four, goals against, and then the goal difference as to how they're doing in terms of um, how many they've scored for and against. All religions work that way. The idea that your good deeds have to somehow outweigh your bad deeds, and it's all on you to perform well, and if you perform well enough, you might have a chance. Grace is the opposite. And grace says, no, 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 no. The goal scored against you, canceled. And we'll give you a million in your account. You're all good. Grace is different. Grace says, God meets us where we're at right now. He doesn't say clean yourself up and then come to him. He comes to us and he cleans us up. We can't make ourselves right for him. He does that. Every other religion says do. Christianity says done. Jesus changes everything. And so if you're here today and you think, you know what, I need to... I need to learn more about this. I, I'm not quite there yet, but I, I think this is right, but I'm just not sure, and I need to learn more. Can I encourage you to check out the Alpha course? It's an amazing course. This church runs it regularly, and so check it out. Fill out the Connect form. You'll find out more about it there. Otherwise, if you know that what I've been saying is true, you know that during the service, God has been speaking to your heart, and you know it's time, then Steve is going to lead you in a response. So I'm going to hand over to him now. And he's going to lead us and tell us where to go from here. Steve, come on up, mate. Come on, let's thank Adam. What an amazing, uh, amazing word. I'll let you know that tonight, question number two, uh, why do bad things happen? We're going to be tackling that. It's going to be great. Invite friends, bring people out. This is a powerful time. But I do want to 
offer an opportunity to respond to the question that uh, Dr. Adam posed to us today. Maybe you are here today and you've been, you've been lost and searching, but the truth is today that God's looking for you and He's drawing you near and maybe that's the reason you're in this room today. And I, I wanna extend that invitation to you if you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you want to. Or maybe the truth is you're far from God. You know who He is, you've known Him before, but you're, you're actually right now, you're far from Him and you feel a sense of God drawing you to come back to that close relationship with Him. And what I wanna do is I wanna invite everyone in this room just to bow their heads and close their eyes just for a couple of moments, just out of respect for the person next to you. And if you're here and you'd say, Steve, that's me. I wanna get right with God today. I wanna give my life to Jesus. That's the reason I'm here. That's what I feel God's stirring me to do right now. I wanna invite you to pray this very simple prayer with me. It's just a prayer of surrender. And it's not my prayer, it's your prayer, but I'm gonna lead you in it. And what I'll do is I'll pray this prayer out loud and you don't have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it with me in your heart, but join with me as I pray it. Make it your prayer today. If that's you, just pray along with me now. Just say these words. Say, God, today, I surrender my life to you. I know that I've messed up and I know that I've sinned, but I do believe that, Jesus, you died for me. And I thank you for your grace that although I'm not good enough, I'm good enough in you. I ask you now to forgive me of all of my wrongs. I turn from that way of life and I turn to you. I ask you now to come in and be the Lord of my life. Take control. I choose from this moment to live for you in Jesus' name. Just with your eyes still closed and head bowed, if you prayed that prayer right now, can I just say I'm so proud of you. I think this is the most wonderful thing you could ever do in your whole life. God loves you so much. And, and what I wanna do is I wanna invite you to do one more little thing, it's just something really brave. Uh, what I'd love to, for you to do is to let me know that you prayed that prayer. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. And, and when I get to three, if you prayed that prayer, all I want you to do is right where you are, take one little step of faith and put your hand up nice and high. Now I'm not gonna do that to embarrass you or call you out, I'm not gonna stand you up or make you do anything you don't wanna do. All I will do is I'll acknowledge you, I'll see your hand, and you can put it straight back down. This is your own little step of faith. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it on the count of three, are you ready? One, two, three. Hands up nice and high saying, Steve, that's me. Yeah, right down the back, God bless you over there. Over there, yes, right here in the middle, I see you too, my man. On the mezzanine, I see you as well. Anyone else saying, Steve, that's me, that's me. Hands up nice and high, right down the back, I see you there. Incredible, awesome, great. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing here today. God, thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for those who've just responded to your voice. We bless them now in the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, church, you better put your hands together for all those people. Can I invite you to do something, church? On your seat, there's these little orange connect cards. If you just said yes to Jesus and you put your hand up, or maybe you prayed that prayer, but you didn't put your hand up, but you know you made that decision, on this card, there's a little box you can take saying, I'm committing or recommitting my life to Christ. We would love nothing more than to help you on your journey. In fact, there's people in bright blue Elam, uh, t-shirts that say, count me in. And they would love to talk. They're gonna be in our foyers and they'd love to have a conversation with you if you'd like to talk to them about the decision that you've made. Uh, but you can fill this card and we'd love to help you on your journey. 